Hi, and welcome to Millennial Z and Boomer X. I am Boomer X. And I'm Millennial Z. And thank you for joining us today. This is podcast number nine, and we are going to talk about the recent big news, to me anyway, um, the Russia and China pact. And that is extremely interesting to me as I grew up uh, during the Red Scare and communism and all that in uh, the Soviet Union. Uh, the former Soviet Union now that Russia uh, taken their place and their divided uh, countries and China also still being China, even though we have a lot more free trade and a lot more diplomatic relations with them. But uh, I'm going to read the first paragraph of the article from the New Yorker that was put out four days ago. And it's extremely interesting, the language used in the article and uh, how the quotes were given, but it reads that Vladimir Putin and China's Xi Jinping last week declared a new era in the global order and at least in the short term endorsed their respective territorial ambitions in Ukraine and Taiwan. The world's two most powerful autocrats unveiled a sweeping long-term agreement that also challenges the United States as a global power, NATO as a cornerstone of international security, and liberal democracy as a model for the world. Quote, friendship between the two states has no limits, they vowed in the communique, released after the two leaders met on the eve of Beijing Winter Olympics. Quote, there are no forbidden areas of cooperation, unquote. So I, that's a clear message if I ever read one. And yeah. the, of course, the writer placed the, placed it in that it was due to their respective territorial ambitions in the Ukraine and Taiwan. And of course, the United States has given each country grief about their geopolitical ambitions of reacquiring those territories. And it appears that China and Russia are allying to show the world that one, they won't be pushed around by the United States and NATO, and that they are no cooperation is forbidden, implying obviously that they would go to war for each other. Yeah, but, they'll back each other up if things come to those terms. Right. They they clearly didn't say that because that's not what diplomats say and everybody <laughs> leaves room for um, backtracking. And that's not what I said and all that as being political uh, individuals. But that certainly, and the way the article was presented as labeling them autocrats instead of simple nation leaders, it starts mm. to be uh, a, a bit interesting that everybody seeming to assume their past places at as the United States being the bulwark of democracy, and they labeled as liberal democracy, implying that it was nice and freedom loving and uh, compassionate, while they were autocrats, meaning dictatorial tyrants, uh, without real democracy, because they're not really allowed to vote, or if they do, they don't count them. Uh, right. So, and they didn't say that, of course, but like I said, the language chosen by the author was interesting. And the fact that they issued those statements uh, as just the two small quotes uh, is a clear message that they are extremely interested in their respective territorial ambitions and don't wish to be meddled with mm -hmm. uh, and will stand up to anybody who does so. And they have the backing of someone else. So, again, yeah. it, it, 
it, it just reminds me of uh, the 70s and uh, early 80s all over again, you know, and the 60s uh, somewhat, although I don't remember much of that. And uh, it should make everybody go, huh, uh, for a variety of reasons. Yeah, these two conflicts are very interesting with, you know, in respect to China's intentions of taking Taiwan and uh, Russia trying to get Ukraine back is they're very similar to each other historically because they have a lot of similarities in reasons to get those areas uh, geographically and a lot of history with uh, separate countries in mind as well that they either were successful at getting or um, semi-successful at getting comparatively for the same reasons as in China for Korea and uh, uh, Russia for Crimea. And it's, it's kind of like this weird, they have, they have a lot of parallel history with these two countries. Right. Well, you know, the, the interesting thing is Taiwan uh, was a Chinese country forever until the Japanese occupied it and then uh, left it at the end of World War II and was almost a British colony, although the records... Uh, now state that it never was it was simply a british stronghold or military installation and they were to turn it back over to china uh at the end of the 20th century which they have done and during that time taiwan declared itself an independent territory but it was always a chinese territory or un understood to be a chinese territory but because of its location was always under contention for one reason or another and the ukraine uh, the ukrainian people are the same stock as the russians really and have a lot of overlap and crossover and the ukraine has applied to nato and i don't know if uh, your age group is aware of this but the nato was reported every night in the news in the 70s almost and it's the north atlantic treaty organization and it's a, a changing group of countries but it's mostly Canada, the United States, and Europe, with a couple of Eurasian countries in there as well. And they united as a military and economic force against the Soviet Union, essentially. Right. Yeah, against communism was the that was their, that was their That was their thing, yes. Mm -hmm. um, again, the Red Scare was a real thing in the mm -hmm. 50s, 60s, 70s, and 80s. Uh, not so much after the Berlin Wall came down and China began to realize that capitalism was necessary and communism was a failed economic That's idea. what I wanted to ask you was how prevalent was the, yeah, the Red Scare uh, to you while growing up? I know it, it ended supposedly around 91 or 89, depending on how people want to count it, because they count technically the Berlin Wall collapsing as the end of Soviet Union, but then some people say 1991 because of internal conflict in them finally establishing their own you know right organization. i pretty much say the symbolism of 89 is good enough because when they allowed the berlin wall to be beaten down that was the end the, mm -hmm. the fact that they didn't rebuild enough to create their own state a workable state mm -hmm. uh united until 91 that's their problem but it was right. it was obviously done when the wall was beaten down by the inhabitants of the country so how, how prevalent was it to you? Because from me growing up, I 
I mean, I still get the same propaganda towards Russia is bad is essentially the underlying tone. Well, that's because that's what the media tells us, you know, <laughs> and um, they have their own interests. Uh, you have to respect the president for that. They're always looking out for the country's best interests. And economically, they have had a difficult time since World War II, and they lost all of those people. They suffered more casualties than the rest of the Allies yeah. combined fighting the Germans. Yeah, it was some insane number, like 30 it's, million people or something. It's unbelievable. And that was in war. It was, un- And they didn't, they didn't have that many people Maybe more. to begin I with. Be, I could be lowballing right. that quite a bit. Yeah, I, I don't remember the figures, but it was an astronomical number. And because of that, they didn't have many people to actually do the labor and make the work. They had, they had brain drain from people trying to leave or being killed during World War II. And they've truly been struggling ever since. Mm-hmm. And of course, struggling under uh, socialist uh, policies does not make it easier. Uh, being isolated makes it worse. And I'm not tracing, placing blame on any particular political group. I'm saying that's simply the way it worked out. Yeah, it's interesting seeing, um, I remember watching some documentaries on World War II Soviet side of the perspective on the war, and a lot of them were fleeing Russia to try to get to, to Germany and, and Nazi regime. And they were like, yeah, the Nazis are pretty crazy, but uh, it's better than what's going on over here, is what they were pretty much yeah, saying. And, that's, and, and people will call you all kind of names for that, but that was a reality. Um, nobody right. wanted to be, because they had no resources. And if you were a prisoner, mm-hmm. you were going to be pl- placed in worse condition than the actual soldiers, and the soldiers had it rough as well. Right. So, and the inhabitants, the the regular people, the private citizens had it very rough because they had to support them and worry about soldiers on both sides. It was truly bad, but essentially anyone who could carry a gun and shoot in, in, so in Russia at that time, that they were a soldier, regardless yeah. of age, gender, didn't matter. In fact, their best sniper was a woman. And I don't think anybody since then has beat her record. It's pretty unbelievable. Uh, and during that time period, it was unheard of, but that just sold you what people are capable of when they have no choice mm-hmm. and they truly had no choice. Um, it was, it was pretty nuts back then, but that changes their, that changed our culture entirely. And they are no nonsense people. Uh, I don't have any Russian in my blood. And as far as I know, you don't have any in yours. So I don't have any familial ties or anything. I'm just simply looking at it from an, an overview of that's simply how they are. Right. Um, and of course, every individual is different. I'm speaking about culturally. Uh, and the Chinese, again, no nonsense. Uh, when they started, when communism took over, Mao killed over 40 million of his own people in the name of communism. And it spread to Korea, you know, Cambodia, Vietnam, kicked off those wars. Uh, those 40 million people were people killed by their own people for a political ideal of communism. That was a real thing. Um, yeah. And we, so we thought they were a genuine threat. And the real threat, though, was nuclear war being kicked off. And I remember for years thinking we could have the bomb dropped on us at any time. And that was not a false consideration. Right. Not so much today. Very good. <laughs> but it does seem like they are gearing up to protect help each other for their own political interests but 
they also know they can't trust each other because they are two very different cultures, even though they may espouse similar economic and government ideals, even though they use different names for it, they're essentially doing the same thing to their citizenry and believe in a certain type of government. Mm -hmm. But the United States, of course, being very prosperous and cash full, and the China is now too, they owe, they own a lot of our debt and there's still a lot of trade with them. So it's going to be very interesting to see how we move forward with this. But the U.S. has ships and troops along the border <laughs> near Ukraine and near Taiwan. So, yeah, a lot of equations were met with uh, Taiwan to Cuba because essentially it's we're, we're the we're the threat to as into helping Taiwan and Taiwan's the Cuba of this scenario because they're essentially the same distance from the mainland as Cuba right. was to Florida. And they're an island and they're mm -hmm. a separate. They, you know, if they declare themselves an independent state, uh, mm -hmm. the difference is, though, that Taiwan, as a rule, wants nothing to do with China, as I understand it. The citizenry. I don't know about the government. I'm not clear. And there's conflicts there. So I'm well, not going to claim that. So technically, uh, from what I read, was that China, uh, well, the Chinese leader, the, the, the uh, Republic of China leader, fled to Taiwan. And then supposedly Taiwan's adopted that essentially that government agency of the Republic of China. So, so technically they do consider themselves China, but they want the rest of oh, China well, to be not Republic or not the, you know, the CCP anymore. They want it to be right. the back to the, they don't want it to be communist. They want it to be Well, that's the thing. Uh, the Republic of China lost that internal conflict. They lost that war and uh, communist China took over CCP took over and that's who runs it. So right. it, the ROP perspectives of, of yeah, I'm, I'm just thinking about how it actually went down because um, my Bagua Zhang teacher was a colonel in the Republican Army of China. So it was a real thing. And he was old. He was in his 90s when I studied under him. And that was the thing. He fled to Taiwan and then he fled to the United States back in the uh, 60s. So, of course, that was a real thing. But that government only exists in taiwan it's been long gone in china since the 50s long yeah. gone you know yeah. late 50s so to say that yeah we're chinese but we're not communist chinese that means you're not a part of that government and that's what they're trying to rectify and that's my point right so, so if they're saying that they're not again they're having conflicts but they're right next door the difference in cuba was cuba readily accepted communism because the people were treated so poorly and Fidel Castro led a revolution to overthrow the oligarchs in Cuba who were espousing capitalism. And they thought their life would be better because they had it so bad for so long and they accepted communism. Uh, Taiwan apparently doesn't want communism and they want the U S to help them. Mm -hmm. But that's a big difference. <laughs> yeah. uh, Cuba didn't want us over there and they were right next door. You know, it's uh, well, I'm saying we're the we're the, we're switching sides is what I'm getting at for that, which I find interesting because right, like, we right. would be we would be the Communist Party essentially under that. Trying to, oh, I see how you are. Yeah, we're trying to inflict our will on the mm -hmm. Taiwan and, and uh, that country next door wants it 
wants it to be uh, capitalist yeah, been, in nature. We've been given huge arm funding to Taiwan since the 90s, earlier sure. than that, 79 or something. Yeah, because but... we knew that uh, at the end of the year 2000, that, that that treaty would occur and allegedly would revert back to China. But now they're playing legal and political games instead of simply allowing the mother country of China to assume it. Because again, they, they declared independence. And I believe it was in the 90s. So I'm sure that was part of their entire plan uh, to not do it, you know, uh, mm-hmm. to not revert back. And that treaty was drawn up, if I remember correctly, by uh, Britain, uh, British treaty. Uh, like I said, they used to have a naval and uh, army base there that was huge, which is why they speak English and have a lot of English signs there and drive on the left-hand side of the road. <laughs> mm-hmm. So if you look at the older uh, films, you can see some of that in Taiwan. And the, and the British were the police and the military over there. Uh, but they they left there years ago, decades ago, uh, in the 90s, into the 90s. And they were preparing for it for years. So, so I'm sure those political statements were a part of it. Um, yeah. But it's also very clear that China and Russia are going to continue to move forward and recapture that lost uh, territory of uh, mm-hmm. Ukraine and uh, Taiwan. Yeah, that's definitely their intentions. I mean, they made that very clear. I'm wondering what, um, how far other countries are willing to go to make that not happen. Because I know NATO has been very, very uh, determined to encroach on Ukraine's independency and uh, Georgia and and multiple other Eurasian well, countries. Uh, the Ukraine has applied for a membership in NATO, and mm-hmm. that would certainly be a slap in the face to Russia because they've always viewed NATO as the enemy mm-hmm. and have no desire or interest in being a member of NATO. So, yeah, I'm, I'm sure that would create huge problems. Now, they haven't been accepted, as far as I know, because yeah. they realize what the repercussions of that are. If they're accepted formally as a NATO member and Russia goes in, then every NATO country would have to go to their defense. Right well, now, as I understand it, there's only a handful of countries gearing up to. Technically, assist. they joined in the DCFTA in about, well, that's why the 2014 Crimean annexation and all that happened mm-hmm. was um, Ukraine joined the DCFT, which DCFTA, which is a deep and comprehensive free trade area. They did that with Ukraine, Georgia, and Moldova. Uh, essentially, the same free market trading routes and agreements mm-hmm. they had with the rest of with NATO, they they extended to those countries. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously, Russia found that as very offensive and um, encroaching on their influence sphere, as they like to say on some articles, sure. Of, sure. <laughs> quoting them, their right. influence sphere. I like it. But uh, yeah, I, I can see their point to it is because, you know, if they, if they join over to the NATO side, then then NATO's literally knocking on their door they have ukraine technically as a buffer zone right? right but but if they take over ukraine then ukraine becomes the next front line towards russia right and yeah they don't like that at all so no and and as a country that's has potentially hostile neighbors all the time yeah you don't you don't want that you don't want mm-hmm. them moving closer to your house hostile neighbors closer to your house you want a right. buffer of some sort and currently turkey has always been the buffer you know mm-hmm. um but that would be another country closer the ukraine on the other side of turkey uh, yeah ukraine owns that black the black sea port that allows all of that port access mm-hmm. for russia to make all those oh it would it would certainly be uh, port. 
a very strategic location for a NATO country. Yeah. And they are well aware of it. But more importantly than that, Russia wants the Ukraine back in the Russian fold. Um, they're not mm -hmm. calling it the Soviet Union. And as far as I know, they're not, they don't have uh, socialist policies as part of the government, meaning they own all means of production. But it's still, they, they want a stronger union so they can have better free trade, more economic trade, um, and give a better shot at capitalism. I mean, if you're a tiny uh, nation with few populace, you don't have very much activity going on respective to a much larger populace and a larger uh, resources available to you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm wondering. Um, I, I like seeing the articles on both sides because I, I try to read if I can grab my, get my hands on some of the other side of it because it's mm -hmm. very hard just to do a right a, a skimming yeah. Google result. You're only going to get one side of the story. Sure, which is really infuriating because mm -hmm. I know there's two sides to the story. You know, it's it's the same story that's been going on uh, for quite some time. You can see back in the the early 2000 teens that uh, china and russia were making friends with each other or being pleasant to each other as i said before they they obviously don't trust each other and they have their own issues but china desperately wants to continue trade with the u.s and europe and that's nato mm -hmm. if hostilities start the first thing that's going to happen is economic shutdown. embargo yeah for mm -hmm. sure and same for Russia. And they're hurting. They're still hurting. They're in better shape than they were 20, 30, 40 years ago. But they're still hurt. And to have yeah, the most liquid, resource-rich, and productive people on the planet deliberately avoid you and not do business with you is going to be crippling without firing a single shot. And they're well aware of that. I believe it shows how scared they are when they posture like this and show an alliance and issue statements like there's no amount of cooperation that's forbidden between us, implying that if you invade one, we'll certainly help or we could help, you know, uh, not certainly, but we could help because there's no, nothing's forbidden between us. We could, we're buddies now, you know? Yeah. It's definitely a postulation, but I mean, I wouldn't say they're scared, but because they definitely oh. have a lot of leverage. They do, simply because they do have a considerable number of people, huge armies, <laughs> yeah. uh, large naval. Russia still has nukes, and they're still and they both really have very, they both very have part them. of the cyber war. China's right. very part of the cyber war. Right. I mean, there's, there's lots of destruction that can be had, and everyone would suffer mightily. But why mention it unless you're being bothered by something? Otherwise, oh, sure. it's understood. So I think they're very bothered by the fact that the U.S. has dropped troops and mm -hmm. ships right next to those areas of contention. Mm -hmm. And that's what it shows me. That shows me they're very bothered and they're and they're bothered and a bit frightened, even though they may not want to use that word. You didn't have to present it that way. You know what I mean? You could have you could have done it a different way. You could have called a meeting and I'm sure our politicos would have shown up and wanted to discuss it, but they didn't. They issued a public statement 
yeah. saying those things. Yeah, they're definitely strong arming a bit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right, right, right. Which uh, I mean, I, I guess is there you're either angry or uh, responding like that in the in the public on a global level. You're either angry or scared. Mm-hmm. I'm know. sure they're. I'm sure they're both. I mean, China still has, um, even though they export, from what I could gather, they export around sixty-four billion dollars worth of food they still need 104 billion dollars worth of food because they import that much so mm-hmm. uh, that alone if everybody embargoed them and they're not getting it from russia because russia imports more food than they can't export obviously. yeah they're not they're not very productive because they're simply behind technologically you know and, and yeah and their geographic stance doesn't mm-hmm. allow them to be able to provide as much food for china mm-hmm. yeah we've so. we've even when they were the soviet union we sold them wheat mm-hmm. by the megaton yeah so, but there, there's a lot of pushback with that. I mean, China makes the most silicon by a lot. And then second is Russia, but China's making 5.4 million metric tons of silicon. Whereas in Russia, they're, they're, 540 metric tons or 500. Yeah. yeah five, it's not even close. 540,000, I think. Well, that's strictly because China is making everybody's electronics pretty much. Well, Taiwan's. Right. Yeah. There's the components. That's, it, that's where it goes. Is Taiwan's making a lot of the uh, semiconductors for those components. Mm-hmm. So they need Taiwan. Right. Well, China's making even even though you don't know it, what we're talking on now, and I don't care what brand you have, it's mm-hmm. Chinese. Yeah. Kind of what's on the outside of it. Yeah. All Apple. All Apple material is Chinese. All of Apple, it. Nvidia, Intel. All of yeah. it. Yeah. But even even the stuff that it doesn't. I don't want to say names because it doesn't matter. I'm telling you. <laughs> It, every brand you know has Chinese components in it, no matter what they tell you, because that's where it comes from. Yeah, uh, like it's you know, and and that's okay. That's from the, the silicon alone. I mean, that it's, that's it's, that's what I'm talking about. Even makeup. if it's just a piece of the silicon in there, if the plastic parts come from somewhere else, okay, it wouldn't work with the silicon components. However, it's worse than that. It's more than the silicon. Yeah, it's almost everything on the inside. All the things that actually make your computer be a computer. Is probably from China, even or if from it's Taiwan. Correct. <laughs> so Correct. Taiwan does ninety-four percent of semiconductor advanced semiconductors is Taiwan. Right, but, but look where they're the getting their raw materials. South Korea. Taiwan's a small island with a bunch of people. They're not getting raw materials from Taiwan. They're right. just putting it together there. Right. The p- components I'm telling you are coming from right next door. That big old country that's making everything for Apple and a yep. bunch of other people and half of Walmart. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but that's what's kind of weird is they're both china and russia sharing this weird uh dependency on ukraine to russia as is taiwan to china because russia is dependent on ukraine as well for their for their oil uh trade because they run a lot of their pipelines through ukraine right now yes yes and that's that's a very very good point mm-hmm. um i believe that was part of the reason why we were in afghanistan they claim it was for the war on terror, and that may have been a reason. However, <laughs> Afghanistan is rich in geographic location, <laughs> poppy seeds, and areas to run pipelines through, mm-hmm. uh, not to mention other political issues that were created by the United States and other countries. So, and the Ukraine's just a couple of small countries away from Afghanistan. 
uh, if not right next door. I'm trying to remember my geography. But not Ukraine's close. right there. Yeah. And they have, as you said, great oil reserves, a port, and many, many pipelines that run to Europe from Russia and other countries. So they're certainly a strategic and a military strategic and economically strategic point of contention. Mm -hmm. And undoubtedly, that's one of the reasons why Russia wants them. But culturally and historically, they're pretty much the same folks. You know, I'm sure the Ukrainians and the Russians would say, well, they're not Russian and Ukrainians were, we're Ukrainians, we're not Russian. But to everybody else. <laughs> well, that, they don't care about everybody else's thoughts. Right. They care about their own independence. Right, right, and, uh, right. That's why there's a civil war happening right. constantly there because of that particular dichotomy between the, the citizens mm -hmm. you know you obviously you have the western more gearing towards you know a nato side and the eastern is more russian side because the close proximity of the propaganda between yeah their families are probably going across the border in uh, oxen carts for centuries and mm -hmm. only in the 20th century has it been an issue mm -hmm. you know and that's hard to shake you remember it you know, even mm -hmm. if you don't, even if you didn't live it, you've been told the stories by all of your family members from the time you could walk and they were told their stories and they were told their stories. So it never goes away. Mm -hmm. But for the modern world, their military and economic um, viability is something that is greatly desired by everyone. And the Russia looks at it as, well, they're a part of us or they should be. So why don't we just, why don't you just come back and we'll pretend like this didn't happen. <laughs> and move forward and of course because of who they are the uh the european and north american countries simply want to say you, know, you can come over here you don't have to listen to them it's it's a we understand you know and because each wants to profit off the other and don't get me wrong the ukraine wants to profit too they stand to make a lot more money dealing with uh, europe than they do with russia uh especially as a russian state Right. Well, it's definitely right now the economy for Russia is really hurting, especially after the, the uh, Crimean, the Crimean um, annex. Apparently, uh, NATO decided to cut off a bunch of because they don't acknowledge the, the annex mm -hmm. that happened. Apparently, cr Crimean uh, referendum happened, and like 89% voter turnout, and 94% of them supposedly voted to be part of Russia again. And Russia was like, okay. Mm -hmm. We'll take mm -hmm. you in, and NATO did not like that. <laughs> well, you know, if that's true, if that if that was if that's true, if, yeah, this, if that's <laughs> an actual thing, and we have to be, but if that's true, if that was a real election that was held with mm -hmm. actual counted votes, and it went that way, that sounds a clack like a classic case of democracy working in a way that you didn't think it would, but you have to accept the results because it's a uh, true democracy. democratic result right exactly that's where it's really interesting i'm like oh okay i see how we're pulling this nato and mm -hmm. western civilization like shouldn't we be shouldn't we be for the diplomacy? so they're just they're just using the, the words uh, as a smoke screen instead of, right, right. And they're using the words democracy as a smoke screen instead of a reality and that's and, where it's there's a lot of angles on these articles where they they right. skew it towards these gunpoint referendums how they put them right like, well, yeah why you could use, be why do you use that word though? That's a that's a very curious phrase, and it, it evokes certain images in your mind and compulsions and that kind of thing. And that's what I said. I mentioned that they describe them as uh, autocrats. Why don't you just simply say country leaders if you don't mm -hmm. want to say their titles? You, there's yeah. nation leaders. You, there's all sorts of euphemisms you could have used, but you use that one, 
And I'm not so sure that they're as autocratic as they're made out to be. Not like uh, North Korea, where it's commonly yeah. seen and known that if you disagree with the presidential leader, you're just taken out back right. <laughs> and never seen again. So, and I don't now, know. I'm, if I'm that not sure about China. There. China's China's pretty pretty crazy not not north korea crazy yeah but... and i'm not saying they don't i'm just saying there's there's not a whole lot of evidence that supports it's that severe and if you say well you know if you if you go against the president in china you could just go away i'm like we same thing that. in russia it's same thing uh, i guess here too supposedly right if you, yeah if, if you're uh if you were enough. a real a real threat and, and i mean no no violence no threats of violence but a real political uh, threat that wasn't entrenched in any of the traditional modes of politics, you would get a visit from guys in suits and a lot of guns, and you wouldn't have a choice about going to talk to somebody. So there's no, really no telling, you know, what, what would happen. So I don't see that as being markedly different um, in theory, but if not that much, they would definitely have some scare tactics involved where they'd bring you into you know, an interrogation room and question you for hours upon hours. Right. And some people would argue that's not a scare tactic. That's just prudent. You've, you've, you've mm. made some threats. I'm like, I, I'm not saying you make some threat. I'm saying the exact opposite. You're not advocating violence of any sort. You're simply saying that that person is not a person you should put your faith and trust in and shouldn't pay any attention to him. He's just sitting in a chair. You should just do what you want, like creating your own political party without any ties to the traditional machinery of of the government you would definitely be spoken to and may not be seen again uh, mm -hmm. because that that has been tried and has had similar results in the history of this country be no different there the difference there is you could be part of the traditional machinery and speak out against them and go away here if you're part of their traditional machinery and speak out you just get blasted in the newspapers and ostracized or, you know, so I, I think there's definitely a real difference. I'm just tongue in cheek earlier, you know, right. about the whole thing, but it's, it's easy to cross that line and be told something that may be factual, but not entirely true to make you believe a certain thing is what I'm saying. Right. Mm -hmm. right. And that's kind of what we did just in the last five minutes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so that's uh that's very interesting. Yeah, it's very easy to do. That's what it's you when you start trying to get the other side's point of view on it. That's when I was like, oh, this is a lot deeper than they try to put oh, as yeah. in the media. Oh, yeah. This has it's been going on for decades, decades. Mm -hmm. And political spin has been made in a number of areas and a number of times to make you believe certain things. It's like they're prepping you for, for their next thing. It's all building upon the last. But they're aware of what they said last and they're making sure that they can build upon it. I read an article in the Indian Express, which is a nation of India newspaper. And I read an English translation, of course, because I don't speak Hindi, but it basically, and it was a long article, but it basically said that this was all simply a lot of posturing and hot air. And they were too economically engaged with Europe and the United States, both of these countries to really do anything and I thought that was a bit dismissive as a boomer because the 20th century was riddled with wars, especially um, between 
communist and capitalist countries. And these countries, one is still communist, even though they claim to be socialist, the uh, Chinese, but they're using capitalism as their economic base because they realize communism doesn't work. And Russia still has that mindset. And Putin came from that era. He was a KGB director during the Soviet Union. So he certainly still has that mindset. Right. And violence is something they both speak fluently. Right. And I know they, they're not foolish and wouldn't participate in it um, from a, yeah, a spur I of the think, moment. I, I think. think it is a bit dismissive to say there's no way because there's too much economical engage. Like, I don't think that's, but I do think there is hesitancy because of that, though. I do think they are trying to. And that's good. There should be hesitancy. Uh, there's really no reason for it, except that if we do economically isolate these countries, if they try to move forward and uh, realize their geopolitical ambitions and move into the Ukraine and China moves into Taiwan and we decide, you know, we're not going to do anything militarily. We're simply going to economically isolate these countries and not have any further trade with them. That would almost force them to militarily engage. Yeah. With everybody. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> and ally with each other. Correct. And ally with each other. I mean, they trade with each other now, but trading with two people that have a lot less than everybody else the trade's not really the same, you know, and that's basically what it would be. It would be two nation states that are both economically not in the best of shape now. And what are you going to trade? Right. Yeah. Uh, China has a lot more than going for it than Russia does at the time. Sure, they, they do. They're, they're still very dependent just on food alone, again, is, is a big deal. Now, they, it could, you don't make enough food for your own people. That's a, right. that's, a, that's a problem. It could motivate them to turn their technology inward to create enough farm technology mm -hmm. so that they could feed their people and do it. You know, hard times, you know, force hard work and tough decisions, and you end up better off in the end, which has happened in the U.S. a number of times. But that can only take you so far if your people start failing or starving early. It takes time to make that. It Correct. takes time to cultivate agriculture. It I does mean, indeed. It simply is what it is. Yeah. You can't people it, aren't going to magically know how to do it. And machines aren't going to magically show up overnight to till and it. Plants aren't going to magically be gone, be brought up in eight months. That's correct. <laughs> correct. It's not, you're not. People die month. a lot faster than eight months of starving. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. Especially if you're not very, large in the first place you know you right. don't have a lot of extra fat in the first place mm -hmm. you know three weeks and you're usually done for you know yeah. if an average size person so and you're still you're definitely not tilling the fields anymore after the first week maybe <laughs> right. <laughs> right it's it's you're being dire straits in a hurry so mm -hmm. it would be it would not be a good thing and that's that's what concerns me so i see it as a very large loud statement and them being in a real pickle as far mm -hmm. as their their personal positions, or they wouldn't make making statements in quite that way. Right. Yeah, I agree. The, the postulation definitely brings in a certain amount of signs of hesitancy or trying to get people to back down so they have what they want, strong arming a bit. Um, but at the end of the day, I do think they would legitimately are are about what they say I, oh I, I believe that 
this is not simply blow and smoke. Mm-hmm. They do see each other as somebody that, that can be relied upon because they're in the same boat mm-hmm. and they have the same enemies in their mind. They have mm-hmm. the same people being hostile to them and they're going to go, you know what? Everybody else doesn't like us, but we like each other, even though we can't trust each other completely. Mm-hmm. We're in the same boat. So the old it, enemy of my enemy is my, is my it, friend. Exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. But they're announcing it. I mean, mm-hmm. we knew this already, but they're announcing it very loudly and in a manner that lets you know it's complete that they're with each other. Yeah, especially the timing right during the Olympics held in China. Oh, yeah, they wanted the world's attention focused upon their statement. That's my, that's part of my point. Correct. Yes. Definitely a lot of posturing happening. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's, that's what all countries do to let Mm -hmm. people know where they stand and what they think and to gauge the reaction and all that. And I'm sure that's exactly what they're doing right now. And all their people are reading all these Western articles about what they said. Uh, It would be interesting to see what they think about that Indian article, essentially saying it's eh, it's just a bunch of hot air. Don't take it too seriously. Not using those words, but in that tone. And so, yeah, they did say it. And I'm sure that they may do something, but probably not. (laughs) Well, they... I'm think I'm leaning more towards not only because both in the end are dependent on those countries and also are already making uh, already in the works of making projects to not be dependent on those countries any longer. Like Russia has a project pipeline infrastructure going through the Black Sea to Turkey instead of running through Ukraine anymore. That's already been in the works for quite some time now. So they're already trying to circumvent that dependency, uh, that main dependency on Ukraine as as China's trying to still trying to be part of the semiconductor um, industry. You know, they're still trying to take that over. They've been doing that forever. Yeah, but with China, it seems more like a a point of pride as opposed to a point of political expediency, you know, or economic mm-hmm. expediency. Because while Taiwan makes a lot of money because they're the gateway to the West from uh, China, it, it wouldn't magically become the countries. People can just send that digital money somewhere else and it's gone. You know, they're not, they're not going to have it. It's it, in there. And what all the articles I read, even written from a Western point of view, that Taiwan's always been a Chinese territory, except when the Japanese occupied it during World War II. And it's just been a matter of legalities and political machinations that have kept it from being ruled by the mainland Chinese government. Although the Taiwanese would vehemently disagree. Mm. That's what everybody else claims. I suppose the same situation of Hong Kong where Hong Kong's technically always been China, but technically it's been its own sovereign nation technically because of British. Its own city state because of Britain. Similar, similar Mm -hmm. idea, although not exactly the same, but yes, similarly. And Mm -hmm. um, yeah, something like that. Yeah, what I was trying to get at was with, um, I've always been under the influence that China, Russia, bad is the usual undertone of all media platforms in Western civilization. Okay, so you you still get that from the media as well, that Mm -hmm. 
there and I've are... not even been, I know we've been taught this through schooling and history buffs have told this forever as the Cold War ended, but I'm still under the impression it really didn't. We still have constant cyber fighting with each other, constantly trying, mm. you know, sabotage, mm. uh, propaganda, inflicting on one another, constantly throwing money at, at neighboring countries to try to mm-hmm. mess with one another. I don't think the Cold War really ever ended. Maybe the threat of nuclear war ever ended, kind of. Well, but... the Cold War ended in the classic sense, meaning, you know, you didn't have this single monolithic enemy of the Soviet Union all united, all the countries united, and all the governments united into one giant block that you had to make sure they weren't going to steal your secrets so they could invade and take over. And the same with China. Mm-hmm. Uh, but of course, China, they simply opened up their trade routes and their economic activity. However, it's still the same government that has gone on since Mao uh, created the revolution and ousted the old Republic of China government. It's the same government. It's just been a succession of the same of leaders for the same chair under the same government rule. Now, with Russia broken up and a new economic and government and constitution ruling it but again you have older people like putin who are under the old soviet regime who have a similar mindset but i think you have to respect the fact even though i don't personally know the guy nor do i particularly like him with some of the things that he's shown to do but in my in his position i may have done something similar i don't know because he's looking out for his own country he's just trying to make sure his country moves forward economically and they don't stay stuck because of their lack of resources their lack of technological know-how and other things uh you can certainly go there a lot easier than in the past you, you can certainly uh create yeah. businesses a lot more easily obtainable for there for sure mm-hmm. uh, and, and during the soviet days it was a years long process and you had a guide which was simply a KGB agent with you at all times and only allowed to go to certain places at certain times and couldn't talk to anybody without permission. It was a a completely different thing. Mm -hmm. That is not the case anymore. They even renamed their cities. You know, it's not Stalingrad and Leningrad anymore, you know. So it's, you know, St. Petersburg now, which is the old names. They went back to the old names to show we don't have the Soviet government here anymore. It was... It was legitimately overthrown. And I'm sure Putin was part of that, which is how he became president. Mm. So he knew that it didn't work and doesn't want to go down that road. But I'm curious as to what actual government activities are going on if it's not Soviet. Now, it's all hardline still because that's what they know. That's how they've stayed alive. But I don't know. You know, my point is how violent do will they become if they think they have each other's back because you've seen many little pipsqueaks all of a sudden get very confident and start to pick fights if they think they have people that's going to jump in and save them right i still don't consider them pipsqueaks they're they're the the, the other two big military no, powers I, of the world. i don't either i'm just using that as an Besides analogy them, that someone who would normally not fight now has someone to assist them mm-hmm is much more willing to fight. Right. And that's yeah, my point. It gives them a lot of confidence to mm-hmm. go on with their intentions. Mm-hmm. And so. I'm sure that's exactly what the reason was for that statement 
that pact and the issuance of that statement in that way saying, hey, it's not just me anymore. And I'm not afraid to do anything because I have resources and a friend that I didn't have before. So you should leave us alone. Yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm very interested because I, I've always been interested in Russia. I just suppose it's like a little bit of the forbidden fruit of mankind. You always want to, you're more curious about the things you're not really not allowed to know or want, or people don't really want you to know about the truth of things. Because I've always noticed that there's been a bit of a, a certain die on Russian uh, propaganda in general, you know, how, and I'm, I'm sure America is very guilty of constantly bombarding Russians with the same thing that Russia is supposedly guilty of, you know, messing with our elections or throwing out crazy propaganda to show how terrible Russians are. We're, I'm sure Russia's done, you know, does the same thing to us about how America is really bad by, I'm sure, putting in some weird committee that has a bunch of racists involved and none of them are all even American, you know, that are apparently affiliated. With yeah, well, it was thing. it was shown that the Russians certainly interfered in the uh, national presidential elections with uh internet statements mm -hmm. and trying to inflame arguments and divide people and all that um so that was certainly some intelligence type movement on their side and yeah our side does exactly the same thing right um, in a i know they're way. guilty of it <laughs> yeah yeah it's been proven that they have um and again we've done the same thing we lied oh yeah we do we do stuff like that that's what they're there for that's what the intelligence agencies do Mm -hmm. uh, start that kind of thing and i i'm okay with that um because one you you can't really stop it as much as you think and as horrible as you may think it is it's not influencing elections although you may think it is um any different than anybody else here who does it because people are going to believe what they want if they see it and and we're issued a lot of misinformation on purpose already right. so Anyone who's a thinking person can step back and critically evaluate what's actually being said to what's actually going on and extrapolate from there. Now, I know a lot of people don't do that. They just knee-jerk reaction, just like the people, you know, the, the Trump thing that's going on now, just like the people that support him. You have people that are against him and don't really know anything about it other than he's not, he's who he is. So he's an unlikable person. Yeah, he's inflammatory. So yeah, and know. and and I get that. I don't, from what I've seen, I don't particularly care for him either. But I don't have a knee jerk reaction. Sometimes he has a good idea, as mm -hmm. much as it might come from a person I don't like. Mm -hmm. Often he's been a buffoon, but <laughs> not all the time. So right. you know, there you are, and 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 that's how I look at it. Which is why I'm not uh, politically connected to anybody or any political political party. I, I see it more of a they constantly induce chaos or induce uh second guessing or they induce who's that who's they who's both they? usa to russia oh. and russia or china to russia and again that's what intelligence so agencies so do both. cause right not not problem. so much that they, they they change the outcome of an election but so much that they cause i i know they're a hard influence in causing uh you know discourse between the between inner In discord between the discord two? yeah mm -hmm discord between another yeah and again you, you can't against the united people because they look at you like you're crazy if you say something ridiculous like get out of here you know so mm -hmm. they they find those cracks and chinks and in, in the armor and move forward and try to foment 
you know, certain problems to make things go. But again, that can backfire on you. So they're doing, and I honestly, I'm not concerned about that. That's been going on forever. It will always go on. It's not violent. It's a uh, soft attacks at best and they mm -hmm. can be dismissed and you can just not read them. You don't have to participate. You can True. see it for what it is. I'm talking about military movement and that's what concerns me about that statement. So again, it was dismissed in, in some places, but I don't, I don't think it can be dismissed completely. I think I'm not saying we should be cowering in the corner and worried about it, but we should go, okay, we need to reevaluate our plan completely. Although I know those who are at the top and do this for a living to evaluate it, we're already aware of this possibility because they've been chummy off and on for a couple of decades and they've had trade with each other and, and saw that that was a definite possibility. It's the announcement of it and the way they did it, which, which lets me know that they're worried. And if they're worried, that's when people do things, you know? Mm -hmm. So that's all I'm saying. Well, I think that's going to wrap it up for us. And what is our next podcast? No idea. <laughs> oh, come on. You don't remember? Don't remember. Don't remember. We're going to talk about how can you retain your employees during the big quit or the great resignation? How do you keep your people? Best way to do it. And I can do it from a upper management position. And you can talk about it from a worker in new gen position and what gets people to stay people who've been there for years and decide I can't do this anymore with some experience and skills and people who are coming into the job and why they're looking at a particular employer or why they immediately jump to another employer doing the same job or why they may disengage. So we're going to talk about it from those angles and give our best answers as to how you can keep people in that job without breaking the business. Because if you don't have a business, you don't have employees. There's <laughs> so, but you, you do need to make sure you don't mistreat them or at least let them know that they're appreciated in some capacity. And I know many employers do this already, but many don't. And that's a great reason, I think, why people are jumping ship, people are quitting. So that's our next podcast. Thank you for listening and watching. If you're seeing us on YouTube and listening to us on the podcast, and I'll look forward to seeing you next time. I'm Boomer X. I'm Millennial Z. Take care, everybody. Peace.